live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. You know what I'd do if I owned a hockey team? This is the Press Box. I hire a sumo wrestler. With Grady and Bischoff. I'd give him a uniform, transportation, 500 bucks a week to sit in the goal, eat a ham sandwich, and enjoy the game. My team would never get scored on. On ESPN Las Vegas. We would get scored on constantly. Maybe, but we sell a few tickets. Hey, we are here on a Monday. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Hope you had a great weekend. Two-hour show today. Only a two-hour show today. If you're, I can hear people clapping in the background. If you're trying to find us from 9 to 10, it'll be Barton Hahn today. They're in Las Vegas for the show, or for the draft. For the draft. doing their show from here, so they'll be on. Q's actually filling in for Hahn today, so it'll be Barton Q. Um, but yeah, and if you're on the podcast, don't don't worry. Jared or somebody else didn't forget to upload hour three. It's just, There is no hour three today. Only hour one and hour two. We'll somehow try to get through it. <laughs> For it's going to be a tough show. week for it's us. Be a tough week for us going uh, <laughs> the, seven to nine. The best part is that we normally have a bunch of stuff we don't get to into the rundown in a three-hour show. Yeah. So this, today yes. is just going to be. Let me see if I, as the producer, can get us off track so that we don't talk about important things. The first bite. That is the first bite. This is important. The Press Box First Bite is brought to you by the Cofield & Company podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Did the Golden Knights blow their playoff spot last night? Yes. Yes, they did. They blew it. Blew they they didn't blow it last night. I told you two weeks ago they were done for, so they were already done for. Well, if they weren't, they are now. <laughs> They're not officially eliminated. No, yet, not, Ed. not mathematically. No. We love the word mathematically around sports. They can lose to Dallas in overtime tomorrow and still not be mathematically true, eliminated. True. They don't want to lose in regulation. Then they're mathematically then eliminated. They're mathematically eliminated. Yes, but an overtime loss, they're not mathematically eliminated. Right. This team led four to two with just over two minutes to go against the terrible San Jose Sharks. They gave up a game tying goal in literally the last second of 0. regulation. 9. Uh, and then the Golden Knights had a 90-second overtime power play in which they did not score. And then the Golden Knights' three shooters, Nick Waugh, Jack Eichel, Shea Theodore, all failed to score in the shootout while Logan Thompson gave up a single goal in three chances. Uh, that's a complete meltdown and a complete disaster. Yeah, complete disaster. Um, I was sitting there and I couldn't believe it. And I didn't like it either because I had to rewrite. <laughs> So it's all selfish. I'm selfish in these situations. I'm very selfish. I, I look at the clock, and that was a, a disaster for all that was around me. And we were not happy, and it was a complete meltdown, like you said. They fell apart at the worst possible time against a horrible team. You know who deserves all of the criticism this morning? Well, you're going to tell me. Mark Stone. Oh, oh. all right. Uh, He's supposed to be the best player on this team. <laughs> And sure. there were three critical moments where he blew it last night. If you go through this, Golden Knights up four to two, just over two minutes to go. They've got the the pucks in their own zone. They're in their defensive zone. Zach Whitecloud has it in the corner. He sends it up the boards, trying to get the puck out of the defensive zone. Mark Stone standing on the boards near the blue line. Puck comes to him. There's no shark around him. He's under no pressure whatsoever. All he's got to do is get the puck out of the defensive zone, get it past the blue line. He could stop it, try to skate it out, 
he could stop it, turn, and try to find a teammate to pass it to. Hell, he could stop it and just sort of chip it down the ice a little bit. But instead, he just deflected the puck back to the center of the ice right to, what was it, Nick Bonino, mm-hmm. who then shoots a wrist shot from just inside the blue line and scores. Mark Stone, they don't score the third goal of the game if Mark Stone just gets the Clears puck out it. of the zone. And it's not even a difficult play. Nobody around him. So Mark Stone, granted it was a soft goal to allow by Logan Thompson, Mark Stone pretty directly responsible for that goal to allow. And then, still leading by a goal, haven't blown it yet, less than a minute to go, Mark Stone has the puck facing an empty net, chance to seal it in the offensive zone, and he misses. Mm-hmm. Completely misses. Hits the side of the post or whatever. Yeah, Blows side it. of the net and hit the post. He puts that home. They're up two with 40 it's seconds over. left. They win the game. They got two points, and we're talking about a massive game against Dallas. And then, in overtime, they get a power play. About 20 or 30 seconds into that power play. He's camped out by the crease, gets the puck, gets a shot, has a chance to end the game in overtime, get the two points. He just jams it right into Reimer's pads. No real effort to make a move and score, just straight into his pads. Three chances for Mark Stone to essentially win the game last night, blew all three of them. He's supposed to be the best player on this team and can't make a single play in the at the end of this game to seal it up. That is not good enough for Mark. No, Stone. and I don't want to hear. I mean, he he was hurt for a long time, but he actually said after the game, no excuses. So don't start talking about the back because the back in those situations, I don't know how it could be affecting him, especially the open net. If I mean, you're so bad, puck, you can't get the puck you two be feet then past the blue line there. or finish on an open right. net. Yeah, you shouldn't be playing. Let somebody else from the AHL team come up. Where's Jake Lashizen or Jonas Ronberg or something like that? I bet they score that empty net goal. Like, that is unbelievably pathetic. Yeah. And then, oh, God, this power play in overtime. Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Shea Theodore. That's $31.7 million on the ice, and they couldn't score in the biggest power play of the season in a four-on-three against the Sharks. I know the power play sucked all year. You're going to put basically your four best offensive players on the ice and they can't score. score. Biggest moment of the year. Just finish it. Just score a goal in overtime. And you don't have to worry about blowing the two-goal lead. Absolutely pathetic. Everything about last night was unbelievably pathetic. I don't know what to say. I mean, it was just it was just a complete meltdown, and now they have to go to Dallas. And even if they win in regulation, they're going to need help from other people. Yeah, they're going to need. And Dallas, I believe, finishes against Arizona Anaheim. Yes. Uh, Nashville is one of the three besides the Kings and Dallas that has the wins in regulation tiebreaker. So they're going to have to completely fall apart not to not to beat out the the Golden Knights. Uh, it's it's not looking good, and it's and it's their own fault. And in the last two weeks. You know, there's no talk of injuries. You've had the team you said you're going to have all year, and you just completely fell apart against, what, the 23rd, 24th best team in the league. Yeah, a a terrible hockey team. San Jose Sharks are not good. And the Golden Knights had beaten them, what, 12 straight times? 13. 13. It's the first time Pete DeBoer's lost to the Sharks since he became the head coach of the Golden Knights, and you lose in the biggest moment of the entire season. Like, that's everything about that last two minutes of that game, overtime, and that shootout is pathetic. How do you not score in the shootout too? How do you, I mean Logan yeah. Thompson first ever shootout? I thought Theod- I thought Theodore was going to Theodore yeah. is usually really yeah. really good at that. Saves Logan Thompson saves two or three, and they can't win because Theodore Eichel and Waugh can't score. Like it's just unbelievable. San Jose coach after the game, I've never heard a locker room this loud. <laughs> they were going nuts. <laughs> Who was it? Uh, was it Timo Meyer that said before the game that th- this was like the game they'd been looking forward yeah. to for a couple of weeks because their season's been over and they were like, well, we want to end their season. Right. 
And essentially, they might have. If they if they had gotten them in regulation, then oh. definitely we'd be they we'd be talking be about the season them. over. There's still, I think, Money Puck has them. What is it, eleven percent chance or something like that? Oh, I thought this it was morning. seventeen. No, that's not zero. It is not zero. Fifteen point three percent chance, according to Money Puck. What's Dallas? Eighty-seven uh, percent yeah. right now. So, yeah, good. as close to ending it as you probably could have done if you're the San Jose Sharks. Um, with still that, again, the Golden Knights can still technically catch LA and Nashville, but yes. both of those teams. Basically, have to lose out. Is yeah. this like the they, Kings they have like, to? They like not to have one point. Yeah, like, I they think, don't even have I think overtime. I think Nashville can get one of point from their last three, and LA can get zero from their right. last two. But that's pretty much it. They can still catch Dallas, even if they lose in overtime. They can still catch Dallas. But Dallas plays two horrific teams to end the year. That Dallas is going to have to lose to Arizona or Anaheim to have a chance. One one and one on the roadie. One one and one since they came home. So who's to think they're winning three straight? Yeah, it's. I mean, who, who would no? Not who at would all. Think they're going to win three straight. Okay, you can't do that while I'm playing the stay positive. Well, so. then stop playing it. <laughs> I'm contractually required. <laughs> they suck, and they blew it last night. This is, and this is. Listen, this team is not competing for the top of the division because of injuries. But this team is not competing for a playoff spot, or is going to lose the competition for a playoff spot because they're bad, right? Like the injuries That's are right. a fine excuse for why they're not among the leaders of the entire NHL. Okay, you haven't had these guys for a long time. But they should still be a playoff team. Yeah. They've had enough of these guys back for long enough. And Dallas, listen, Dallas went on a three-game road trip to Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton and didn't get a point. Right. Dallas said, come on in, Golden Knights. We're giving you the chance. Giving you the opportunity to go make the playoffs. And the Golden Knights like, eh, we're playing the Sharks. We don't really want to do that. We'd rather lose in hilarious fashion. Want to get to Leonard? What the hell's going on with Robin Leonard? We Rob don't have Leonard. nearly enough time no. to figure this out. There's a lot to unpack here. What the hell is going on with Robin Leonard? I think he's hurt really bad, and I think it's a situation where he wants out, and they're they're keeping him in. You think the team is basically saying, "We need you," or you've got to? Oh play. yeah, you or be on the bench, <laughs> not play, but oh yeah, be on the instead bench. of bringing another person up for Henderson, where they still believe they have a shot at the playoffs. So you think this is a, ultimately a team decision, which not they, a player which, decision? Which you know, according to the CBA, they have the right to do. They do? Oh, yeah. According to the CBA, they make the decision based on what they believe for the player. And I think that, I think they're telling them, you know, you can be the backup, but there's no season-ending surgery yet. So he's basically, they're basically treating him like Buffalo treated Jack Eichel? I think it's a very much like Jack Eichel situation. I think it's really like Jack Eichel. I wrote that this morning. I think it's I think it's underlying Jack Eichel situation where the player wants to get a surgery and they don't want him to get it yet. How do you think Jack Eichel feels? A, he's not going to the playoffs again. And B, he's watching the new team he got traded to kind of do the same thing yeah. that Buffalo just did to yeah. him. He should demand a trade. <laughs> to Dallas. <laughs> I want to go to Dallas. You guys you guys still got that Anaheim trade set up for Dodonov? I'll go instead. Look, I don't think that... I, I have a hard time believing that the ESPN and athletic sources are I, wrong 100%. and that and that there's nothing to he wants season ending surgery yeah, 100%. there's no way i mean there's just no way those sources are wrong i i have a feeling i know who the sources are and if that's even close to being right then there's no chance yeah. this is wrong yeah i no. i have a very hard time believing Zero. that if even if it was one of them, just ESPN or the Athletic that had a report on it, I'd still have a hard time believing it was wrong. But if it was one of them, then 
maybe something happened, but for two independent media outlets, independent reporters to have the same exact report. Come on. There's got to be. Oh, there's some something to it. to it. There's actually some yeah. truth to it. All right. We'll get we'll get more into Robin Leonard's situation coming up uh, later in the show. But next, the Brooklyn Nets. Ed, your pick to come out of I'm the done. East. Not I'm done. Good. What's it like to have your own teammates boo him to kind of get him motivated? <laughs> do you chuckle at that? or? I didn't know. Not? Are they doing that? It's whatever. It's working. So they can. They tend to do whatever they want anyways down there. Bothered at all by how much your teammates enjoy booing you? No, they have so much fun doing it. I think it's funny. I think it's honestly hilarious. Uh, they kind of have turned it into a fun thing. It, it, it makes hearing it out there during the game a lot easier, too, because they think it's so funny. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Who's getting booed by his own teammates? Grayson Allen. Oh. I mean, he should have just said, I went to Duke. Yeah. I mean, didn't he's he get booed, at Duke? booed his entire career? I assume so. Now his own players are doing it, his own teammates to make fun of him. Yeah, he had a good game, too. Yeah. We're yeah. going to talk to your own Whitesman later in the show. He wrote a story about Grayson Allen. Right now, or in the how the season he's having? Yeah. Yeah. Like how he's, he was how really, he's been good. And he was important. really good the other day. Yeah. I guess they nice things about Grayson Allen. Nobody wants to do that. All right. The Celtics beat the Nets over the weekend, 109-103. Boston now is a 3-0 lead in the series. You, like two months ago, said Brooklyn was coming out of the East. They're down 3-0. You got any hope? I have zero hope. Oh, okay. That they All are right. coming back from 3-0, the first team ever to come back from 3-0. Okay. Because the greatest, one of the greatest scores as they asked him afterwards a generation uh cannot score <laughs> so when that happens that uh tends to make me believe they can't come back kevin durant and kyrie irving combined to take five shots in the fourth quarter of game three fourth quarters of games two and three two games fourth quarters only kyrie and kevin durant have combined to shoot three of 14 in those two games. 14 shots. How? I have no idea. I don't know what Steve Nash is saying during timeouts. Listen, guys, these two dudes are good. Let's have them take shots. I have no idea why suddenly these guys don't or won't shoot. Here's what I... Okay, the Celtics have been getting a lot of credit, and they deserve a lot of credit, right? They've got a legitimate shot to win an NBA championship this season. But I refuse to believe that the answer to stopping Kevin Durant is to simply be physical with him. Just defend him really hard. Because that's what the Celtics are doing. They're just being really physical with him. So I I don't get it. I don't understand how that just ends Kevin Durant. How Kevin Durant can go from one of the best scorers in the history of the NBA to completely useless because the other team just decided, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna play defense really hard on that guy. Doesn't make any sense. Well, is this Steve Nash then? Well, has Steve Nash been doing much of anything since he's been the coach there? It's like, hey, we got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. We're just gonna play and, through them. And occasionally they had James Go Harden. Through them. Yeah, we're just gonna let them do whatever they do, and we're gonna win games because of it. And that, that's why you that's why you were optimistic about the Nets because those two, yeah can create their own shot without offense. You don't have to run plays for them. They'll create their own shots, and they'll generally score at an efficient enough level that you'll win a lot of games. But somehow, 
the Boston Celtics are just like, we're just going to try hard and it's going to stop the Nets. I, d- I don't believe that's that's what's happening here. I, th- I think there's more of this is about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving than just the Boston Celtics trying hard. Then what's the explanation? I have why, no idea. Why are they not shooting? I don't know. He's I can't get a shot up. I don't have any idea. He's got, what is he? Does he have more turnovers than shots made in two straight games? He might have. Like, it's 16 points on 6 of 11. Yeah, it's incredible. Is it? Okay. Let me ask you this from a big picture on the Nets. They've had, they, they got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. First it was James Harden. Now Ben Simmons is supposed to be part of this big three. <laughs> and they've granted had basically no continuity. They haven't played together very much. I think the, the Harden, Irving, Durant trio played like less than 50 games together. Right. So uh, injuries have had a big, has been a big reason why. But is it time to like sit back and reassess the, if the Nets are actually good? I don't think so because I can't say that with with Durant and Kyrie on the same team. So this this small sample size of a postseason no, series is so. not enough to say not to me this isn't going to work. That's that's probably the right answer. But there's just I don't know this this series has been so bad that it's like at some point you're going to have to beat a team like Boston to win a title. Sure, next year if they're or Milwaukee. Right. If you're relatively healthy next year and Brooklyn gets a one or a two seed, their first round matchup will be some seven or eight they can get right. rid of pretty quickly. But eventually you have to beat a good team to win the title. And I just, I don't get it. I don't understand what's happening here. I don't know how Kevin Durant is this bad. It, it makes no sense. And then my favorite quote of the weekend was Kyrie Irving saying that the Celtics have been gelling since Christmas and the Nets are in a new experience as a group. And we just have to respect that. He also said he doesn't know how you make up time that the Nets lost not playing together. Yeah, it's on you. (laughs) A guy who says we have no chemistry, who failed to get vaccinated. This is on you. It's this 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 is your doing. If you don't have chemistry, you 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 refuse to get vaccinated, so you missed all those games. So how do you think it's going to go? I show up like every four weeks, and it's yeah, like exactly. these guys don't know me. Why don't we have any chemistry? Who could be responsible for this? Jesus. <laughs> what are the security guards were like, what? You play for the team? Yeah. You, I need to see your pass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about that. This is the guy talking about chemistry and gelling, and he's the one who's at fault for not showing up and not getting vaccinated and being the guy who stays away. I don't know if he makes a difference. Maybe he does, because maybe he'd be getting his shots up. But there's a legitimate reason to think that if Kyrie Irving had gotten vaccinated, James Harden's still on this Brooklyn Nets team. Because when James Harden got traded, it was after like the Nets went through like three, four weeks in a row of just constant losing. They just couldn't stop losing for three or four weeks. If Kyrie Irving had been vaccinated, Kyrie Irving had been playing all season, the Brooklyn Nets would have been in a much better position record-wise, and James yes. Harden might have stayed. He might have been like, all right, yeah, we this isn't great, but... But they were winning a lot more games. We'll be healthier at some point, and and we'll be winning more. And yeah, but because Kyrie didn't get vaccinated, the Nets kind of sucked, and he was his own problems. And so James Harden was like, you know, let me go somewhere like Philadelphia and make this a lot better. There's a chance James Harden's still on this team. Again, I don't know if he makes a difference in this series, but he would help more than Ben Simmons, who, by the way, is not going to play in game four. I think I'm losing that uh, Luka versus Ben Simmons You're having almost a triple-double. Yes. And the Mavericks might actually win the series. Right, exactly. And he'll get to play, a he'll get to play another whole series. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ben Simmons, um, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, had a workout. The next morning he woke up and he felt sore. 
told the Nets and this, the decision was to hold him out for game four, which was originally the target game for him to come back, had been the target game for like a week now that he was going to come back in game four. Uh, let me ask you the cynical question. Is Ben Simmons playing in game four if Brooklyn is down two to one in the series as opposed to three to nothing? I don't think so because I'm not a bad, I'm not a believer in Ben Simmons right now. So you think this is Ben think Simmons this is ben not Simmons. playing? Period. Yeah, this is Ben Simmons okay. just not playing. This isn't looking at it saying, no. "Well, it's three nothing." No. Okay. Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought the Woj report came out before the. It did. Before it came out before three. game three. It did. Absolutely. So I just don't think he was going to yeah. play. So, I is he going to play basketball again? <laughs> no. Is he like? Is Beyond this playoffs, is he going to play in the NBA I don't again? Know. Because he has not played for an entire season. And there have been, we had a specific postseason game. Postseason, this isn't like regular season. A specific postseason game targeted. And he's not coming back for it. I assume he's playing game one of the regular season next year. That's still my unless assumption. He's not, unless he's sore. He might, yeah, he might still he might be, be sore, sore again. But what I mean, a the year, hell? A year later, and it takes one workout to erase him. So I think he plays again, but there's something. I mean, there's something going on with this guy, and for why he doesn't play or what his body's doing to him. But I think for first regular season game next year, he's he's got to be back by then. That would be another what six months for him to get ready to play. <laughs> so it'd be a year and a half. Yeah, you'd think so. I would, but listen, we also thought Zion Williamson was the Pelicans were saying well, Zion was going to be ready for game one of the season. The only thing Zion can <laughs> continue to do, as we know, is dunk because every time I turn on one of their games, there's a clip there's of a him dunking video. against nobody. Dunking. And it's like, w- w- what is this? Is this guy going to play? Because that's all he does anyway. So if he can do that one skill, I don't know why he can't play. Can't run up and down the court enough to actually do that one skill. I don't know. Are the Nets the worst big three that the NBA has ever seen? Oh, who is, well, who is the big three with the Lakers? <laughs> but they, but well, they didn't have a third to be fair. Uh, Russell they Westbrook, they I guess, but they thought they I'm trying to think least... of that Malone Lakers team. Who was on that? Yeah. Uh, Steve Nash, Gary Payton. That was okay. That wasn't a big three. Carl yeah. Malone, Kobe Bryant. Weren't they all? I think they were all on the team together at the same time. Yeah. That was basically all these guys were good seven years ago. Well, it was, they were at the end. Yes. Let's put them on the team. It's basically what the the Lakers Lakers. tried to do this year. (laughs) (laughs) Basically the same thing. So I just, it's been, they, they put together Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and it was instant title contender, if not title favorite. And then they've, those three, injuries, vaccination status, a whole lot of reasons, but they've missed a lot of games over the last three years to the point where one of them gets traded away. And now it's Ben Simmons in there who also isn't playing. It's got to be one of the most disappointing, like super teams ever assembled like this. They were supposed to win a title. Like if you, if we go back in time to when they got those three, three seasons that, ago, that was they'll win. You thought I, I thought it. I bet everybody thought it. The Nets are going to win a title in the next three years. And we're sitting here and what? They got to the second round last year and lost to the, the Bucks. They're about to get swept in the first yeah. round. And they, they might get swept by the Boston Celtics. Who's Listen, Celtics are good. We've done this whole segment bashing on the Nets. Celtics are good. Mm-hmm. Probably got a good chance to come out of the East with Chris Middleton hurt, right? But this the, the Nets are an atrocious joke at the moment. 
What about KG Pierce and Jason Terry to the Nets? Would that also be a bad big three? Probably, yes. I don't know if it was as bad as this because did it, I don't know if anybody thought those three were like, ah, they're definitely right. winning a title, but still a disappointment. That's a bad one, though. Coming up next, <laughs> Rachel Galligan joins the show. We, we, Me and my family, we just came to the conclusion that the Las Vegas Aces would be the best spot. Um, and Mark's commitment, Nikki's commitment, uh, the people that they're bringing along, Jennifer Aze, you know, it's like, how can I not be a part of this group? Um, you just could feel that they were building something special. So I'm super excited to be back in the W. I'm super excited to be leading this group of girls. Um, and let's go. I'm ready for 2022. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now is Rachel Galligan. You can follow her on Twitter at Rachel Gal. Good morning, Rachel. How are you? Hi, Rachel. Hi, everyone. Good morning. I'm good. How are you guys? Good. So since we've had the Las Vegas Aces here, they've basically been a title contender under Bill Lambeer. They made the big move in the offseason. Bill Lambeer's gone. Becky Hammond is in as head coach. Is it uh, realistic to have those same exact expectations that this Las Vegas Aces team should win a WNBA title with Becky Hammond here? You know, that's a really good question because I was just writing um, a piece for Just Women's Sports the other day, um, uh, kind of a, a column about like preseason power rankings. And, and I was asking myself that same question. I think, and I think I came to the conclusion that ultimately, yeah, <laughs> um, because I mean, well, let's be honest, the last, last couple of years, they've been in that conversation. They've fallen short, you know, whether you want to call that a disappointment or not. Obviously, this team has a ton of talent. Um, obviously, this team still has really key pieces coming back. You might talk about the loss of Liz Cambage and Angel. I'm sure we'll get to that. But I, I think that's what this move kind of is with Becky Hammond, is essentially bringing her in and helping elevate this team to really get over that hump and, and to take that next big step, which is a, a, a title. Let me ask about Liz Cambage and the loss. We might as well go to that. Um, Becky Hammond's going to come in. She's going to play a new system. Uh, they're going to space the floor. They're going to shoot three. So how much of a huge loss really is it? I, I don't think it is. I mean, you know, I, I think that it was kind of unwritten. You know, I think everybody who really, really studies and follows the W and, and maybe even a lot of people in Las Vegas kind of anticipated this move to happen. Um, you know, it was no surprise. You know, Liz, Liz has always openly said she wanted to be in L.A. We, everyone knew she was a free agent coming into this year. And then when the news broke that, that, you know, Bill was out and Becky was in, you definitely got the sense of like, okay, this is a, this is a period of time where, you know, they could really cut ties and, and go their separate ways. I don't know that it did fit the system. And, and you could even make the argument, you know, how did it ever fit the system? Um, and and we, that's a whole other conversation. In terms of you know like like how did that look with her and Asia down on the block together? But um, yeah, I mean I don't think it is that big of a loss. At the end of the day, it's not a it's not a knock against Cambage. Obviously, she has the she has the ability to be one of the most dominant players in the world. But again, just coming down to that system and, and that fit that you're talking about, no, I don't think it's a big loss. So they're basically going to build around Asia Wilson the. Cambage departure is sort of a departure of an overlap in skills or overlap in what those two players wanted to do, even though they were on the floor together. Mm-hmm. Building around Asia Wilson, what you've seen the Aces do this offseason, like, it, is it good enough? Like, are they good enough to be the best team in the WNBA this season? I think so. You know, and, and Asia Wilson has proven 
before, you know, her ability to throw her team on her back and just go to work um, and her ability to take over games. You could go through each, each dominant player in the league, you know, MVP caliber type of player and discuss do they have that trait or not. That is for sure one thing Asia Wilson can do is throw her team on her back, go to work. You know, and again, I'm talking about like at crunch time, you know, getting her team late in the game over the fourth quarter, hit, or, you know, hitting those big shots. Um, you know, she can do that. And I think you've got some really great pieces around her to be able to open up the floor, to be able to open her up and, 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 and force them, you know, to make tough decisions. Are you going to guard in the perimeter? Are you going to guard inside? What are you going to do? And, and obviously we could talk about um, a huge one there is, um, oh, my gosh, I'm drawing a blank, um, Kelsey Plum and the, the ability that, that she has on the floor and the best basketball that she has. I mean, then you talk about De'Erica Hamby. The big looming question mark for me is kind of that stretch four position. Who comes in and plays alongside Asia, outside, you know, De'Erica Hamby? Um, and I think you saw what they tried to do in this draft, trying to add some pieces and some assets that maybe at least, you know, could at least be serviceable and developed down the road. Um, but my opinion is, yes, you know, Asia Wilson in that type of role, yes, they are good enough to get that done. Besides the system we've talked about, what is, in your mind, what are the traits that are important that Becky Hammond brings as a head coach? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I think, first off, you know, just, just her, her basketball mind in general, playing in the league, getting it done in the league. You know, when you look back at the career that she had and how much experience, how much vast experience she has, you know, this isn't just a player who, you know, played, you know, four or five years and, you know, maybe had some success. I mean, she is one of the most experienced and decorated WNBA players that we've ever seen. And then, you know, she comes in and she, she, she goes and has all this experience at the NBA level. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like. I think that's going to be, in my mind, one of the most intriguing aspects of this season. And, and honestly, there are some question marks surrounding Vegas. Like everything you said, you know, you know, I'm, I'm aware of, but it's, at the same time, what is it going to look like? What does Becky look like as a head coach? You know, she has never been in a role like this before. Um, and I think it's important to remember that, you know, that this, the keys to the Corvette have been handed over to her in terms of um, calling the shots on the sideline. And, and maybe it surprised a lot of people, but it is a league she's extremely familiar with. Um, it is a system that, you know, she's played in before in terms of how she's going to want to play. I'm just curious, you know, when any coach, you know, when you, when you take that jump and, and you're in that head seat, it, it has to be an adjustment. Um, so I, I'm very curious to just really study her and study the way she interacts with this team and study her adjustments. Um, that's, that's the one thing this season that I'm going to be really fascinated with. But there's no doubt. I mean, obviously everything she learned under, I mean, in the NBA, I mean, in the, with the Spurs, I mean, that's going to translate in a way that, you know, this team has never had before. And honestly, no one in the league has had before. You mentioned briefly the players that they drafted, but they traded up. They acquired two picks earlier or for the WNBA draft this year, giving up their picks for next year. They got Maya Hollingshed from Colorado, Christian Bell from Florida Gulf Coast, and Kayla Pointer with their first three picks from LSU. Uh, what do you know about those players? What would they actually bring to the Aces this season? You know, I'm going to be completely transparent. I was, I was blown away. I was completely shocked um, that they went with Hollingshed and, and traded up to get her. Um, she, she played Colorado. I'm based in Colorado. Had an opportunity to play her or watch her quite a few times during her career. You know, Hollingshed, it, 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 it screams to me just how, not even desperate, but just how badly they really want to invest in that stretch for kind of long wing role. 
Um, the one thing about Hollingshed is, you know, you look at her, she looks like a million bucks. She's long, she's athletic, she's extremely lanky, like elite athleticism. And the one thing she's implemented into her game um, and really honed in and focused on was her ability to shoot the three and stretch the floor and be really consistent with that. And she worked on that tremendously in the offseason, and it, and it showed this year. I mean, the, num- the numbers were unbelievable, um, how, how much work she put into her game. I had her go in kind of second round um, a little bit later. So to see her get called that early, I personally was, was shocked, but that's not a knock on Hollingshed. I think it just really screamed to me, okay, wow, okay, this is the direction Vegas really feels like they need to go, and that's who they had their eye on. A little bit of a sleeper. Um, I think, you know, Kayla Pointer, phenomenal pick. I, I'm a big fan of Pointer. I think the interesting connection there is she played for President Nikki Fargus at LSU. So you've got a connection there. Um, she played for her, and she's her niece. So you've got a connection there, and you've got um, you know an understanding. What I love about Pointer, complete stat stuffer, does does not shy away from big moments, and had had multiple triple doubles this season. Uh, once the ball in her hands, I think she's going to struggle at times to really integrate into kind of a WNBA system, and again the flow of the game. At sometimes in LSU, she had such a load on her shoulders because they weren't they weren't one of the greatest teams. Again, trying to be competitive in the SEC. Um, so there, there'll be a little bit of a learning curve as there is with everyone, but I'm a huge Pointer fan. Um, and then Kirsten Bell, I mean, you know, I, I think in terms of just guard who can fly out just score the basketball, uh, that's a great get. I'm a really big Bell fan. I think the way, the way she carries herself, her swagger, her confidence, um, combined with her skill, she just screams pro ready to me. Um, and, and so I thought that was a really good get in terms of just, you know, a, a pure scorer. Um, that you know, it might take a couple years or um, a little bit to adjust to the defensive side of things, and um, maybe the the, the speed in, in terms of being able to get by people, things like that. But man, she's she's really really talented, and her her career at Florida Gulf Coast was really fun to watch. But when you watch her, you're just like, wow, she's going to be a pro someday. So, um, really really good draft. I was just really shocked that man, you you traded away really valuable 2023 picks. <laughs> We'll talk that that's gonna be a conversation we'll have down the road, but to get Hollingshed, um, I hope it pays off for him. Is it too obvious to say how much the Olympic experience is gonna help some of these women? Oh, I mean, I'm I'm sure, you know, and I think the the biggest one that screams to me is Plum. <laughs> I mean, I'm so blown away with Kelsey Plum and, and the where she's at in her career. And I guess I shouldn't be <laughs> after watching her collegiate career, but you know, sometimes that doesn't always translate. And then you throw plum, and, and now you look at, you know, Team USA and kind of the, 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 the rotation of the roster they're facing and the experience that a lot of these women are getting on that team. I mean, how can it not, you know? Well, she is Rachel Galligan, and make sure you follow her on Twitter at RachGal. Rachel, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Rachel. I appreciate you guys. Bye-bye. Yeah. So there's Rachel Galligan uh, on the Las Vegas Aces and their title hopes, even though they're – First draft pick, maybe not the best one. A little bit of a Las Vegas Raiders reach. Just a Mark Davis special at this point. Title or bust. Better be. It's been that way for three or four years. They've busted a lot. Nothing's changed. Get the t-shirts out. Coming up next. Show's a little out of order today, but it's Bischoff's briefs. (sighs) 
Bischoff's Briefs. Throwing out random numbers authoritatively is the best way to pass as a baseball expert. Bischoff's Briefs. By the way, it's commendable how many baseball players care so deeply about the Equal Rights Amendment. Bischoff's Briefs. Somebody get me some antibiotics because that ball is gonorrhea. Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs today is on the Wolves and Grizzlies. Timberwolves beat the Grizzlies by one to tie that series at two. This series has been great. And it's a great example as why the ring argument in the NBA makes the NBA less fun because the Timberwolves are not winning the title this year. The Grizzlies are probably not winning the title this year. 538 gives those two teams a combined 3.2% chance to win the NBA this season, which means most likely one of those teams loses in the first round and one of those teams loses to Golden State in the second round. And we'll both kind of look back and say, hey, both those teams, that was kind of a failed season, a pointless season. But this series is great. Anthony Edwards, fun. Carl Anthony Towns, fun. John Morant, we've declared him the head of fun in the NBA for like six months now. We don't need in the NBA every team to be judged on if they win championships or not. Some teams, absolutely, right? Like, absolutely this year for Milwaukee, for Phoenix, for Brooklyn, for probably Boston's in that conversation, Golden State. If those teams don't win the title this year, it's not a good season. But for Memphis, this is a great season, even if they lose in the first round. For Minnesota, this is great, even if they lose in the first round. We don't need to judge every team simply on championships. It's the great thing about the NCAA tournament. Winning the championship is terrific but it's not the only way we measure success in the NCAA tournament. St. Peter's went to the sweet 16, right? St. Peter's is, we're going to look back at St. Peter's as a success. They didn't win a title, but that's a success, right? Like that's how we view the NCAA tournament every single year. There are some teams that if they, if they don't win the title, it's a failure. But for the large part, there's a lot of teams that winning one game is viewed. I mean, hell, if the mountain West got one win in the mountain West (laughs) tournament, we'd be like, Hey, they did it. So that I wish we could do that more in basketball, right? Because like take last year, we had a great example too. Atlanta went to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? They had a they knocked out the Knicks in five. They beat the number one seed Philly, but then they lost to the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Do we really look back at that as a successful season for the for the Hawks? Not really. I mean, we just sort of like, yeah, it was a fluke year. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals. So I kind of wish we Yeah, did but more it was. That. It was, but nobody looks back and says, great year I mean, for the Hawks. With the way Trey Young played, it was fun to watch. Right, and now we look back on it and think what? I mean, I forgot they got there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but now that you reminded me, I had fun watching it because I yeah. love to watch Trey Young. Right. I just wish we had a little bit more of that and it wasn't just championship or bust. Now, we got another protester. It's beautiful. In Minnesota. Uh, they took off game two of this series, but game three they needed to revamp what they were going to do <laughs> game three in Minnesota, two people sitting in the second row. One of them tried to run on the court. Well, she did actually make it on. Yeah, she got on a security guard tackled her pretty quickly. I mean, she got about two steps onto the court and the security guard managed to get out there and tackle her. Uh, first off, did she knock her out? Did she tackle her head into the into the hardwood? Why am and I laughing? That security guard went over that front row like she was. Uh, oh, she was ready. Bank robber. Yeah, she was ready, and she was kind of looking her way. I don't know if she was suspect or not, but she t- 
receiver like yeah. a DB out of the uh, with a running back coming down the road. Oh man, that's a, a great, great tackle. tackle. A great tackle. Tremendous great job tackle. by that security guard. Now, apparently, the woman that ran on the court, she had on a jacket, but underneath the jacket, she had a ref uniform what? and a whistle. And the plan had the security guard not tackled her within yes. within like two seconds. The plan was for her to give a technical foul and fake eject the Timberwolves owner, Glenn Taylor. Like she was going to stand in front of him, blow the whistle, do the technical foul, and then eject him. I'm trying to think. If this I is, gave these people how to do this. I'm, well, is this, is this the best one yet? The best one that they thought of doing. Because the glow actually got to the court, and the chained woman actually was able to chain herself. This woman didn't get. She did not. Yeah, she didn't get to carry out the plan. Had she done it, it would have been hilarious. I think the plan would have been the best. Yes, because people would have been looking around saying, "What happened now?" So she she would rip the jacket off to get in the ref. You know, it would have taken a long time. The security would have. That you're, you're getting, uh, you're getting close to where the security. If they didn't get her by then, they're, they're not doing their job. Right. So obviously not a basketball fan because she would have had breakaway. Breakaway Jack. She needed the breakaway to just be a ripoff. Yeah, and yeah. she needed she, breakaway yeah. pants. I think she had a pullover on. She yeah. was going to have to pull uh, it over no, the that's top. Just Security would have yeah. bad planning. Would, or at yeah. least, you know, take it off right before you run on the court. Right, right. Maybe the security guard who's sitting two seats from you says, oh, that's a nice shirt. Yeah. And she doesn't oh, realize. Oh, shirt for the rest. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, there were two people. One ran on the court. One did not. Both got dragged out. The other one. I think was just yelling at the Timberwolves owner because they were they they were sitting right behind Glenn Taylor who was sitting courtside, and they were sitting right behind him. I don't know if that other person actually did anything or if it was just guilt by association or if they just whatever they did. But there were two people that got dragged out there. Um, the interesting part of this to me, right after this happens, the next time that you see a camera shot of that part of the crowd. There are new people sitting in those seats. So feet sillers at the academies or people just walk down and said, oh, those seats are open. So either A, I really these hope two it's people, people like me who went, hey, those are open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These two people might that, that got dragged out might have just saw open seats and came down and sat right. in them. But I rewound, went back to the first half of the game. The two people that got dragged out were sitting there in the second quarter. They were sitting there for an entire half of basketball, watched an entire half of basketball, and then decided in the third quarter to do this. We're going to protest. Okay, but let me at least get to halftime, all right? (laughs) This Anthony Edwards guy is fun. It's almost like when they had the glue and they had the chain, I'd make really, I'd make real sure who's around him because they were sitting right behind. Right, exactly. I'd be like, okay, now who are these people? And like, keep watch of them because who knows? They're that close to him. Yeah. Like it could have been already done. Significantly worse. Oh, absolutely. That could have that been close? so much worse. They could have done if, something to them physically. If they had wanted to do something worse, and if the security guard hadn't been on it in two seconds, it could have been way worse. 